1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Annie. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, it's finally time Finally to talk about fanfiction. Finally. (laughs) Yes. It feels like such a long time coming. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah, I was telling Bridget before this we started recording. It's just been coming up a lot. And I'm not sure why, but it seemed right. It seemed like we had to talk about it. I do want to have this disclaimer right at the top. We're totally aware that fandom can be toxic, and it absolutely can be extremely toxic. And we will touch on elements of that here in this episode, but we're definitely going to talk about it more in depth in a future episode. Today, we're focusing mainly on fan fiction and a little bit of fan art, but mostly fan fiction.
2: So, for folks out there who don't know what fan fiction is, what is it?
1: Sometimes called fanfic or FF, fan fiction is writing typically done by amateur, but not always, writers and fans parse the work of other works, usually but not always. Works of fiction. So you're kind of in the fan fiction world, we call it playing in someone else's sandbox. And if you haven't uh, surmised, I have a lot of experience with fan fiction.
2: Tell us more about your experience with fan fiction, Annie. Have you ever <laughs> written any fan fiction? I have written some fan fiction.
1: Probably as soon as the internet was available to me, I had a friend, shout out Katie, um, who introduced me to fan fiction. I read mostly Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, some Star Trek, some X-Files. I guess I dabbled all over the place, but, <laughs> but Harry Potter was my big one. And later, I got into, like, Supernatural and uh, Star Wars, but I wrote one for— I wrote, I think, a couple of Harry Potter ones. I wrote a Star Wars one. That one was the worst, and a Peter Pan one, and a Lord of the Rings one. So, yeah, I have quite a bit of experience. What about you, Bridget? Have you ever—
2: Read any fan fiction? I have not written any. I have read some. Okay. I'm a I'm a I guess you could call me an appreciator. Yeah. I think I think it's cool that people express themselves via fan fiction and fan art. I think fandom is cool. I feel a bit left out of nerd fandom because I am solidly like not in the mix on most of it except for X-Files fandom maybe. I like X-Files a lot. Um so there are a few things, but for the most part I feel a bit left out of like nerdy sci-fi fantasy fandom, mm-hmm. uh, but I am a major appreciator of it from afar. Yes, I, I'm a fandom fan because <laughs> I think I I am just fascinated by folks who express their love of different things via art and cosplay and meticulous recreations and you know expanding out a universe to make it, you know, what they want to see. I think that's really cool. So you could call me a fandom fandom. You should write (laughs) fan fiction about fan
1: fiction. I should. (laughs) Uh, Doing the research on this episode, while being one of the most delightful experiences of research I've ever, ever gotten to do, luckily for work, also made me appreciate fan fiction a lot more. It made me respect it a lot more. So we've touched on fandoms. Fan fiction is made up of fandoms like books, TV shows, movies. You can even have real person fiction, R-P-F, as it's sometimes called, based on celebrities. And I know some of our How Stuff Works colleagues have featured in some fan fiction. Maybe we have Bridget. I don't know.
2: Oh, is there Annie Bridget fan fiction? There could be. If I'd, there love to, I'd love to read it. Here's a challenge
1: for you. Pretty much anything you can imagine. But one misconception to get out of the way right up front is fan fiction is not full-on adoration of whatever fandom. Often it's a critique and or subversive and almost always pushing past boundaries, and breaking rules. We've talked about the barrier gaze trope before. Fan fiction was a place for people to course-correct tropes like that, to find representation in fandoms they loved but were vastly ignored in, or to write that representation themselves. It was a place for LGBTQI
2: stories that were anonymous and where you were generally accepted. This is actually where some of my fandom fandom comes in. I really enjoy reading kind of LGBTQI reimaginings of different stories. Yeah. I definitely read some good Gilmore Girls fan fiction wherein... Do you ever watch Gilmore Girls? I did not. Okay, so I've seen every episode twice. Or okay. Multiple times, usually more than twice. But um, it was a pretty... Actually, I didn't really like the show toward the end, but I kept watching it. But Mm -hmm. one of the characters on the show, Rory, she has one of those sort of three main boyfriends. And the question is always like, oh, do you like Logan? Do you like Jess? Do you like Dean? And I enjoy fan fiction where she doesn't date any of them, but in fact falls in love with her best friend Paris. Oh, So I I really appreciate fan fiction that reimagines characters as living the queer identities I feel they should be rightfully living.
1: Oh, absolutely. Out of curiosity, have you ever read Ash? I have not. It is a reimagining of Cinderella with two women as the lovers.
2: Oh, is the woman a princess? Yes. Oh, Mm -hmm. put that on
1: my list. Yeah, and that is an example, and we're going to talk more about this later, but of, like, actual fan fiction that has been published, sort of. Depends on how you define fan fiction. But anyway, so fan fiction, especially when we're talking about the online, the internet, can be multi-chaptered, or it can be a standalone, sometimes called a one-shot. It could be a drabble, which is a couple of hundred words, but they're generally, on average, about 20,000 words, or at least the best-reviewed ones are.
2: I just remembered I did write some fan fiction. (gasps) Oh, stop everything. (laughs) Tell me more, Bridget. It was... This is gonna sound absurd. No, it was. Remember the Babysitters Club? It I was. Do. It was Babysitters Club. Mallory and Jesse, all grown up, living in Brooklyn and having a relationship together. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that doesn't sound absurd at all. I just kind of thought because so if you listen, if you read the Babysitters Club books, Jesse and Mallory are like the junior babysitters, are not actual members of the BSC not yet because they're younger, but they're always sort of mentioned in tandem and. Mallory is clearly a lesbian. Like, it's very clear. They could not have made it any clearer. Homegirl lives in, like, a Oxford. <laughs> you know, like, it's very clear to me. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, I always thought, like, wouldn't it be cool if Mallory and Jesse grew up and moved to Brooklyn and Jesse worked at a dance nonprofit and Mallory was a writer for Slate? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I think it would be. Do you still have access to this? Can oh, we read God. it? Oh, God. Oh... Oh, this is embarrassing. I have like blocked this out until this until this very moment. We're having kind of an intervention thing right now. I <laughs> yes. want to. When did you write it? Not that long ago, like oh. two years ago. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I thought it would make a funny series. I am so on board. All right, maybe we're going to revisit this episode at a later date, and we'll both share a little taste, a little fan fiction taste, a little fan fiction taste.
1: And not to embarrass our producer, Dylan, but he also wrote a fan fiction. Oh, he
2: doesn't have his headphones on. He won't hear you. I know, but he <laughs> will hear this later. <laughs> <laughs> he's editing it.
1: He wrote one from, I don't know if you remember Arthur, the animated oh, cartoon. Oh, the anteater. Yeah. <laughs> he's an aardvark.
2: He's an anteater.
1: Oh, gosh. Now I'm having doubts about Wait, everything. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I've always thought he was an aardvark because when he's in the spelling bee, he spells aardvark so like enthusiastically.
2: Oh, my God, he's an aardvark. Yeah. How did I think he was an anteater? I don't know, Bridget.
1: I don't know. But Dylan wrote a a fan fiction about Arthur and a friend of his getting stuck in an ice cream shop and eating ice cream together, which I thought was very cute. I've read some fan fiction that are over 100 chapters, some that are less than 100 words. Genre wise they're usually a mix of action, adventure, romance in a way that a lot of traditional media cannot be. And the chapter ones are like old school TV shows or even maybe a podcast per se, where maybe the author has a day each week they publish or try to publish. In the meantime, you're just I remember just being like, oh, I can't wait till a chapter comes out. I hope this happens. This allows the writers to learn and adapt from readers as they go and create a product that appeals to a wider audience because there is a comment and review function.
2: So it really sounds like an expression of community kind of fandom where people are excited to read more and they give feedback about what they want. And so it's kind of a collaborative project in a kind of way.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a big, uh, not really point of contention, but some people say that published works of fan fiction aren't really fanfiction because they're lacking in that community aspect mm. and community is so important to fan fiction. And if you're wondering kind of like, why are they talking about fan fiction on Stuff Mom Never Told You, other than <laughs> I love it, clearly, the community that writes and reads fanfiction is mostly women or non-binary. We're going to talk about that later in the podcast, but just know in the back of your mind that this is mostly... A, a female community, and it the breakdown is, is really fascinating. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word for our sponsor.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something
0: And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler free zone.
0: The all new, all hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
1: I wanted to talk about some lingo because I love some fan fiction lingo. You've got AU, which stands for alternate universe. OOC are out of character. OC, which is original character, canon, staying within the confines of what the fandom has laid out. Usually that means relationship-wise. Slash, which we're going to talk about a lot later, uh, and it refers to a non-canon couple of the same sex, usually male. Females denoted by fem slash. Impreg, male pregnancy. A crossover, when two fandoms cross over. Uh, For for research, for actual research on this episode, I read a Harry Potter and Avengers crossover, and it was the best. (laughs) I was so happy. We've got curtain fic, which is a genre of fan fiction that focuses on domestic situations, like, say, Kirk and Spock are out shopping for curtains.
2: Oh. Like, it would
1: never happen on the show, but people like to imagine what it would be like.
2: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um... There's Hurt Comfort, that was one of my favorite things, H.C. Race Bending, when characters are either whitewashed or reclaimed for minorities. It could be could go either way. Uh, gender Swap, when you swap genders of characters. U.S.T., which I use in real life, Unresolved Sexual Tension. Ship, which you can hear probably a lot outside of fan fiction, to ship a couple. And we have talked about Mary Sue and Self-Insert in our Star Wars episode, so those are some of the... Some of the big ones. It's quite the glossary. Oh, my gosh. There are so many more. And, like, if we narrow the focus even even more to fandoms, they have a lot of their own lingo within fandoms. So, like, I already mentioned on the show once, Destiel from Supernatural. That's Dean and Castiel. and Harry Potter, you had Snape Harry was Snary. Hermione <laughs> <laughs> was Draco Hermione. Our dreary Draco Harry. I had a competition with a friend of mine to find the most rare couple. In all of HP fandom. And I found Neville Longbottom and Membolus membletonia, which, if you don't remember, is a plant that he carries around. <laughs> <laughs> in the story, Neville gets transformed into a plant and they fall in love. But she found one that was between Harry Potter and the giant squid. Uh, rule 34, you can find sexually related or pornographic material for pretty much everything.
2: Including Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh,
1: absolutely. And if anyone has this beat, please write in. But I would like to note, it's a popular misconception that most fanfiction is weird and pornographic. Most of it is not at all. Not at all. And speaking of Harry Potter, it is often credited with bringing fanfiction more mainstream. Fanfiction.net, which was where I went when I was getting my fanfiction, has almost 800,000 Harry Potter stories. Wow. On it. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of Harry Potter fanfiction writers out there.
1: Yeah, back in my heyday, every night, I would check. So, I mean, it's kind of like search results, and I would just go through every new page of fanfiction of the day, and it was usually over 30 pages of new fanfiction.
2: In one day?
1: Yeah, new or wow. updated, yeah. Oh, and in general, fanfiction is free. Wattpad does have a premium ad-removed service, but for the most part, totally free. And we are mostly talking about online fanfiction, fiction. But fan fiction exists in several recognized forms of art and business. The creator and showrunner relationship is a good example once the original creator has left. I think Aaron Sorkin once famously said, like, he couldn't watch the West Wing after he left. Or you've got the officially sanctioned Star Wars authors. So... Tell me more about that. As as our resident Star Wars mm -hmm. expert. Yes. So... I guess it's Disney. Disney owns Star Wars now. But Disney kind of picks an author to write the the books that they consider official canon for Star Wars. And, yeah, so they kind of are just writing fan fiction published work. We'll talk a little bit more about that later because it's sort of an interesting dynamic. A big trend in fan fiction right now are stories written by teens that more accurately reflect their lives. So when you were explaining... I'm very interested by your fanfiction because it showcases a lot of things that we are going to touch on. But particularly right now, teens are writing about the prevalence of social media and technology, maybe putting that into Like, I've
2: seen so many Harry Potter gets Facebook and what happens. <laughs> um, Jenny Weasley gets very upset that Harry Potter leaves eye emojis under some random girl's Instagram. As she should. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that, yeah. That actually, again, that's that's a bit like curtaining. Yeah, the curtain thing? Curtain, yeah. Yeah. Where It's it's a reimagining of something that would never be in the book. So it would never be a plot line in the book. But it's interesting. Right,
1: and it, it kind of goes to show what fan fiction is really about, which is sort of exploring certain aspects of yourself and your life. According to Publishers Weekly Wattpad, which is a user-generated storytelling app, reached 18 million users in 2013 in the space of seven years. And this translated to 64,000 stories getting updated per day and 23 million stories a year. In 2014, the number of users rose to 35 million, with 45% of those in the age range of 13 to 18. Some classrooms have started using fanfiction as a writing exercise now. Of note, though, about WattPod, this is specifically of all of the places where you can find fan fiction, it does skew a lot younger. And it is a lot of One Direction stories, like real celebrity stories. So it's a little bit different than most of the other ones that we're going to talk about.
2: Well, as a former teacher, I absolutely love the idea of using fanfic to teach writing classes for young people. That was something that I did in my classrooms quite a bit where if if students won't get off their cell phones or won't get off social media, can you find a way to integrate what they're already, you know, loving and enjoying and what they're not paying attention to your boring lecture to do instead. Can you find a way to marry those two things? And so I love, love, love the idea of using fanfic as a writing tool because it's just meeting young people where they're already at. If the fanfiction universe is being dominated in small parts by young folks, educators would be, you know, remiss to not capitalize on that because it's writing. It's just another way that shows that young people are fired up about writing. So you may as well turn it into a curriculum. Absolutely.
1: Another big fan fiction site, Archive of Our Own, or AO3, had over 400,000 users, generating over 1,317 stories. And I, like I said, I was a fanfiction.net person and a uh, DeviantArt, which is more fan art and illustrations. Uh, Common Full is another site where uh, it has a visual component that's really kind of unique and often beautiful. So if you're interested, I would absolutely seek it out. In his... 2011 Time article, Lev Grossman, author of The Magician's Trilogy, described fan fiction in the context of mainstream culture as, quote, what literature might look like if it were reinvented from scratch after a nuclear apocalypse by a band of brilliant pop culture junkies trapped in a sealed bunker. Yes. (laughs) That's so good. I know. It's really good. And he was speaking as a fan, but he acknowledges how strange and extreme fanfic might seem to the outside observer particularly the outside celebrity observer who might be a bit weirded out by it.
2: Yeah, um, as you might be able to guess, not all authors or creators are on board with this. Some of them are buzzkills. For example, in 1992, author Marion Zimmer Bradley, who broadly encouraged fanfiction, but when one of her upcoming novels closely paralleled a fanfiction she read, she attempted to negotiate a deal with the author to avoid a lawsuit. Now in the end, Bradley abandoned the novel. Other authors like Anne Rice, Anne McAfee, and George R.R. R. Martin have publicly denounced fan fiction for this reason. As the internet has grown older, a lot of authors have softened their stance. Annie and I were joking earlier off mic about how we wanted to do fan fiction about Anne Rice because apparently Anne Rice is notoriously litigious. And if you try to knock off her intellectual property, she'll basically be at your door with a lawsuit in her hands. So what if we did fan fiction about Anne Rice hunting down. She's pe- a fan fiction hunter. She's a fan fiction hunter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will work.
1: Yeah, she posted like a really intense note about like, you have to trust me on this. You cannot, you cannot post fan fiction. If you look today, if we went to fanfiction.net, you would find no Ann Rice fan fiction. They won't host it. And fan fiction is frequently looked down upon mostly because of some high profile ones being made into books and movies that are also generally looked down upon, but either way, its popularity is growing. Even Amazon has a fan fiction website now that lets authors publish and receive royalties from eBooks from popular licensed series like Vampire Diaries. They kind of have a relationship with these uh, the companies producing these series. The Washington Post wrote, "What used to be a disregarded copyright nightmare is a new youth friendly approach for publishers." Independent publisher Big Bang Press was founded solely on finding new voices in fanfiction to write their own fiction novels. And while getting published is nice, it's not really the goal. One of the most common arguments against writing fanfiction is essentially, go write your own thing. Uh, you'll never succeed as a writer with a fan fiction. But most people who write it are not thinking they're going to be a published writer one day. That's That's like saying people who play football are doing so thinking that they're going to go pro one day. It's a hobby. It's something that people enjoy doing that's cathartic and satisfying. But most people are not, like, thinking, "Uh, if only I write best fanfic, I'll get published. Although
2: some authors do use it to, like, stay up to snuff. (laughs) Do you think that one of the reasons why it's so looked down upon is because it's so heavily dominated by women and non-binary people? Oh, yes. And we are going to talk about that. Because there's a
1: there's an entire article, and I'm going to reference it later. But it's called "When Men Write Fanfiction." It's seen as academic. Oh, of yeah. course it is, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I definitely think there is an element to that. And I, as someone who is pretty nerdy and tapped into nerd culture, uh, I used to get really angry when I was younger about how it's so accepted to be in a sports fandom, and I couldn't figure out the difference. And then when I was researching this, I had a moment of. Well, sports is a very highly masculine fandom. And nerd media fandom is still kind of masculine, but it's way less so. That's one of the reasons that I think that we just accept sports fandom, but we don't do the same with media fandom.
2: And I think beyond that, you see that with so many different kinds of fandom and, and writing. Like, I, In the episode we did around journaling, because journals are associated with femininity, they're seen as unserious, but then when a man writes one, it is seen as, like, his writings, his papers. But if right. a female authors, even very famous authors, you know, Sylvia Plath, Emily Dickinson, their journals are thought of as their sort of frivolous diary, but men, their papers or their collected writings, you know, it's seen differently. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think fandom is just like any other thing where when there is a male association, it's sort of highbrow. And when it's, when it's a woman doing it, it's just an unserious thing. And you should just quit. Why are you doing this anyway?
1: Yeah. And I can think of two examples I ran across doing this research of that. One is the Beatles. Before, like, when it was just a bunch of fangirls that were mooning over this band— They were looked down upon. But then when men were like, you know, actually, these albums are pretty good. Then it became like Beatlemania, totally acceptable. And another example is bronies. Oh. Because I loved My Little Ponies, as did a lot of women, for a long time. But it wasn't until dudes were like, you know what? I really like My Little Ponies. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to be a brony. And then it became legitimate And cool and nerdy. Before that, it was, like, lame. And now you see that at conventions, like, bronies. So, once again, when it was a largely female fandom, it was not cool at all. And then when men came in and legitimized it now, oh, cool, bronies. And not to disparage on bronies, more power to you. I'm just saying, like, culturally it shows where we're we're at when it comes to those kinds of things more on all of that later but let's talk a bit about some some famous examples of published fan fiction because it, it did fan fiction did used to come with this risk of a cease and desist letter and if you write about Anne Rice then yes you, you still gotta be looking he's gonna hunt
2: you down it'll be Anne Rice like at your door yes hello seconds. it's Anne Rice I know you're home <laughs> I, like, to look behind <laughs> It's Anne Rice.
1: She's behind you. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> she knows all. I, in my time, and I'm sure still now, at the top, you always put, like, disclaimer. I don't know. That, the does the, the le- powers that be own and everything. Does
2: the disclaimer actually do anything, or is it just...
1: Oh, I'm sure it doesn't, but it's supposed to be like, well, maybe this will soften them if they find it. (laughs) He'll be like, well, at least she acknowledges there are these powers that be that own it. But nowadays, you very well might uh, have read a fan fiction and not even known it. Uh, We've mentioned before E.L. James, whose Twilight fan fiction became the Fifty Shades of Grey series. And this is probably the biggest one. It's estimated that at 125 million copies, it outsold Twilight, the work it was based on.
2: I have to ask a dumb question. Yes. How is it a fan fiction when it doesn't involve vampires?
1: Well, so E.L. James deleted the original fan fiction once she got published. But there you can still find people who like saved it and you can read it. And she just swapped out the name. So it used to be Edward and Bella and now it's Christian and Anna. I'm not sure how much the vampire thing came up in the original fanfiction, but the characters were essentially the same. And I believe that side-by-side comparisons showed she only changed 5%. 5, oh, wow. Or yeah, so probably just the names. And this it has brought up a lot of questions of legality and caused a lot of concern about the end of good writing and original work as we know it. As one writer at The Washington Post put it, the most scandalous part of Fifty Shades of Grey isn't what Christian Grey does behind closed doors. It's that the book might well be an illegal art. And I know the author of Twilight, has kind of, she's never come out against it per se, but there's definitely an air of like, she kind of wrote her own fan fiction on Twilight, which is interesting. Can you write your own fan fiction on? She abandoned a project that was essentially a retelling of the first one from Edward's point of view, and she kind of made it sound like it was because of Fifty Shades of Grey, at least in one interview I read. It does have to chap her ass that Fifty Shades of Grey is more popular than Twilight. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You've also got Cassandra Clare's The Mortal Instruments, which was originally a Harry Potter fanfiction. And I I remember seeing that. I never read it because I was never into Jermione fanfiction. <laughs> I had very specific things I would read, and that wasn't one of them. But I, I remember seeing that one getting updated pretty pretty consistently. Anatod's After, which was based on a One Direction fanfiction. Pride and
2: Prejudice and Zombies, of course. Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Rees. Which I read in graduate school in a graduate seminar on women's writing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was taught fan fiction when I was trying to get a PhD. It is being taught in the academic setting. A lot of,
1: there are so many examples like that, like Wicked by Gregory Maguire. It's essentially Wizard of Oz fan fiction. Or Roger and Hammerstein's South Pacific, which is the only musical to win a Pulitzer based off of a work that also won... A bullet search. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but again, there are some, uh, there is some debate about whether these count because the community isn't necessarily there.
2: Just out of curiosity, what's your take on that divide?
1: I feel like these do count as fan fiction, but there is a part of me that almost wants to like classify it differently, if that makes sense, because the community is a big part of it. I don't know. I I, I would count most of this as fan fiction, honestly, personally. But I do think it's missing that that community part, that part that is so collaborative. You've also got a series of James Potter novels, sort of Harry Potter sequels by George Lippert that J.K. Rowling has more or less been like, yep, okay, cool. You've got Meg Cabot and Neil Gaiman, who have dabbled in fan fiction, or Hamilton, which is sometimes compared to fan fiction.
2: I mean, if you think about Hamilton, it kind of is fan fiction. It's taking this very familiar story that pretty much everybody knows and— Completely spinning it on its head. Yeah. There's a whole
1: article about it on Vox, and it was quite a lovely read. Here's a quote from it. In essence, Hamilton is a postmodern, metatextual piece of fanfics, functioning in precisely the way that most fanfics do. It reclaims the canon for the fan. In this case, Hamilton's canon is history, and the fan, Miranda, is doing a lot more than simply adapting it. Like the best fanfic writers, he's not just selectively retelling history, he's transforming it. That was a a good quote in the article. Enjoyed a lot of it. Also, 2016's South by Southwest saw the premiere of a movie called Slash, which was supposed to be a, about a teenager exploring his sexuality through erotic slash fan fiction. But from what I read, it really didn't have much to do with slash fiction after all, and it got most of what did have to do with it pretty wrong. Like, it was very erotic and weird, which that does exist, but again, it's the outlier. Most fan fiction is curtain fic. <laughs>
2: I wonder where that misconception around fan fiction comes from, that it's all, you know, erotic or sexualized or pervy or, you know, where where do you think that comes from?
1: I think it, it kind of goes back to that it's mostly women writing fan fiction. A lot of it does have perhaps Slash, but in a lot of those Slash stories, like they're buying curtains, you know, like maybe there's sex, maybe there isn't. And maybe if there is sex, it's very like tame. I think it's a misunderstanding that all these women are writing about sex, so it must be weird. And yeah, there's a lot of misconception about that. I was someone who really enjoyed uh, like Slash that never had any sexual things in it. (laughs) I just liked the relationship.
2: Yeah. I was like, oh, they're they're close. Yeah, I that's in, that's intimate. Yeah,
1: I like this. I like this. And a lot of times, I would get to a certain like, say, I'll read 19 chapters, and then chapter 20 they have sex. I would just like skip that.
2: <laughs> that and you did this when you were in like a, a teenager. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're the only teenager out there skipping the sexy parts. I'm like, this this isn't for me. <laughs> a lot of times, I, I really
1: appreciated it because a lot of authors would put like, if you're not into sex. This chapter is not that important. You can skip it. And I was, I was like, done.
2: Thanks for the warning. <laughs> yeah, skip. <click. laughs>
1: yeah, I really liked it. And fan fiction did, for better or worse, play a role in learning about sex for a decent amount of us, me included. Lord of the Rings fan fiction, you taught me some things. An article in Vice delved into this, uh, how fan fiction served as a tool of sexual exploration, especially for women in LGBTQ who might not get much of a sex education or see themselves represented in media. Yeah, me and more than one of my friends definitely learned about sex from fan fiction. I remember this precise sex fan fiction. Because, again, I used to print them out. Oh. And so I wouldn't know that was coming. And surprise, surprise, two characters are having sex, and I'm trying to understand what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Young
2: Annie with her printed out fan fiction. Oh, yeah.
1: Man, I wonder if I still have that stuff. I should look. Most sites do have rating systems like the MPAA almost. And you can, some of them, especially like geared towards a younger audience, do have settings that you can set up so that you can prevent children from getting exposed to some of those things. If that's something you're worried about, some of them are less effective than others. But some sites don't allow adult material. And I I kept getting a chuckle out of they would say fanfiction.net because there is adultfanfiction.net. But that's where I stumbled onto my sexy Lord of the Rings
2: (laughs) (laughs) and just think where you'd be if you hadn't done that who knows where you'd be
1: oh I'd be lost lost at sea Fan fiction has also led to so, so, so many academic studies. You've got the writing and reading of fanfiction and transformation theory by Verl van Steenhoijs out of Purdue. This one's really interesting because it talks about how fanfiction does not need the world described. That part is already done for you and, or seen if we're talking about a visual medium. So like the same is true with the characters, the past, the memories, their motivations. The readers all know this universe, how it looks, its rules. This means that it's extremely immersive right off the bat. Like, you don't have to spend time setting that up. Everyone's kind of seeing the same thing, which I didn't really think about, but that's, again, kind of that communal aspect. You're entering into this world that you already know and it's, it's there for you, and then they're playing with the characters within it or the rules within it.
2: Yeah, you've got this nice backdrop already set up for you, like a canvas. Exactly. Yeah. I was really interested in this study, uh, Slash as a Queer Utopia, by Dr. Ika Willis out of the University of Bristol. Here's a quote from that one. The reader has to decide not only what readings of the show are possible, but what is possible in a fictional universe. And this decision must necessarily engage what she believes is possible in her own universe. And... You know, as queer people, that is kind of pitch perfect for our media consumption experience, sort of deciding what things look like within our own understandings of ourselves and how that is reflected on these characters that we, you know, are coming up with (laughs) scenarios for. Yes, and letting it play out. Yeah.
1: Some of the other studies we found have suggested that writing fanfiction can help foster empathy, can decrease feelings of depression and isolation, can improve self-esteem and overall psychological well-being, which is all pretty good. And fanfiction does, like I mentioned earlier, you do have that review function. And my experience with it is it was generally a very positive community. I did live in fear of the flame, the bad review. But generally, most people were really encouraging or are appreciative, and it it was a really—I had a really good experience with the community. And perhaps that does go back to it being mostly women.
2: It's like a little slice of a woman-only internet. Yeah. I've often of. thought, what would the internet look like if it was just women? I think it would be a less toxic place. But it seems like fan fiction is a place where they've kind of tested that out a little bit. It,
1: yes, absolutely. And because of that, it has drawn, like, a lot of criticism, a lot of derision, a lot of fear. It's widely disparaged and misunderstood. Some of the popular stereotypes of arguments against fan fiction include... It's a bunch of nerds who don't know how to socialize. Nope. All fan fiction is pornographic slash written by straight teenage girls or middle aged gay men, depending on who you're listening to. Also, not true. All fan fiction is written by horny teenage girls and is largely illiterate and immoral. Oh, yeah. Double whammy. Yeah, also not true. And it, again, stop writing about someone else's characters, start writing your own thing. And again, it's not about that. But how did we get here? Well, uh, the history of fan fiction probably goes back further than you think, and we'll talk all about that. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word for our sponsor.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something Okay, so pinning a date to when fanfiction began is difficult, and it depends on how strict of a definition of fanfiction you're using. Some arguments say that the Grimm Brothers fairy tales of the 1800s are fanfiction. They took oral stories and then kind of made them into their own thing, telling their own moral, whatever moral they wanted to convey. Some arguments say the Bible counts as fanfiction. The
2: OG fanfiction, the Bible,
1: dang. Yeah, so that's pretty far back. Shakespeare often comes up in the conversation of the history of fanfiction as well. Most of his plays are derived from a legend or myth that he took and then added the Shakespeare touch. And it didn't take long after novels started to become more commonplace in the 1800s for popular authors like Daniel Defoe to voice concerns of folks, quote, kidnapping his work. <laughs> it's a little strong, but all right. Uh, uh, yeah. um, Jane Austen didn't seem too worried about it, though, and uh, fans of her works, Janeites, engaged in fanfic swapping in the late 1800s with early fanzines. This eventually led to the publishing of the 1913 novel and Jane Austen fan fiction, Old Friend and New Fancies. To date, 242 published novels that are Jane Austen fan fiction are listed on Goodreads, so she inspired quite a bit of published fan fiction.
2: Wow, she's like the Harry Potter of her generation. She was. She really <laughs> or the, was. the J.K. Rowling of her generation. Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Moving into the 1920s, we get Sherlock Holmes fan clubs in bigger cities like London, And these clubs put out the Baker Street Journal. The journal had both academic type research and straight-up fan fiction that the authors would read at fan events. And this is some of the first recorded self-insert fics where the authors are talking about themselves in the world of Sherlock
2: Holmes. Oh, I love it.
1: (laughs) In the next few decades, sci-fi communities pretty much had the market on fan fiction. Folks in the community coined the term fan fiction in 1939, but they used it to mean amateur sci-fi writings. And professional sci-fi writings are pro-fic was a different thing. The first known fan historian, John Jack Bristol Spear, defined the term in his 1944 in fan encyclopedia. And then in 1952, the Enchanted Duplicator became the first book that was fanfic about fans, and one of the first uses of fandom in print in regards to fans of media. That word was first used in the late 1800s as a mashup of fan and domain for sports fans.
2: Fan fiction as we know it got its start in the 1960s with Star Trek. This property gave fans a new way to interact with the work. Through magazines that published a fan's work and conventions, fans would make copies of zines and hand them out at conventions. When Doctor Who started to be included in these conventions in the 1970s and 80s, this is when we saw some of the first crossovers. So, Doctor Who, meeting with Spock, that kind of thing. I would read it. (laughs) I would read it. What about Doctor Who and Spock shopping for curtains at Ikea? Oh, my gosh. I had a crush on both Spock and Doctor
1: Who, the 10th Doctor, David Tennant. So I would totally
2: be into it. into it. it. Annie is on board. I am. As we talked about a little bit in our Star Wars episode, the first Mary Sue debuted in 1973 with a Trekkies tale, although it was meant to be a
1: parody. Yes. And Star Trek fandom also gave us the first slash fic in 1968, a Kirk slash Spock fic. Called the Ring of sojourn in which the two characters must have sex or die, fall in love, and quote spend all of their remaining days on the planet exploring both the planet and each other's bodies. Is this a
2: bad? Is it a
1: bad situation for them, or is it? This, no, it's good. This started a whole. I mean, I'm about to nerd out so hard. <laughs> no, right do now. it. Do okay. it. Get, get get do it. Okay, so Spock, his species, the Vulcan species, has this sexual kind of ritual that they go through. It's it's a, called Pon Far, and it, you kind of go in heat, and if you don't have sex and bond with someone, you die. So Spock went into Pon Far while abandoned on this planet with Kirk, and so... They had to have sex, or Spock would die. This is actually a popular trope called or die" on fan fiction, where you put two characters in a situation where they must have sex, forcing intimacy, usually between two men that wouldn't otherwise happen. So, no, this is a positive. I'm going to assume Kirk was like, "Okay, I don't want my friend to die. We can have sex," and then from there, they fell in love and exploited each other's bodies for the rest of the the earth. Yes, and this story and the Kirk-Spock ones that followed caused a lot of debate in the community during the 70s, and they were written mostly by women, and that was a part of the debate that did come up.
2: Now, there are a lot of articles in defense of fan fiction, mostly penned by women, but the one that really started the most hubbub, if you will, was in the New York Times in 1986. In this article, she discusses how her professor, a woman, said that when compared to men, women, quote, must learn linear narratives slowly and with much greater difficulty. The author points to fan fiction writing, saying, women who traditionally spend large portions of their lives working in relative isolation for little or no pay bring a different set of motivations to their writing and art. They want to talk to other women to express themselves in a science fiction form that until recently has all but excluded them, which I think really drives home this idea that it's about a female form of expression and that it's really, it's almost kind of like anti-capitalist. It's not yeah. its not attached to this idea that you're going to be rich and famous from doing this. It's, it's more about personal growth and personal creation.
1: Yeah, and that's another criticism often hurled at fan fiction is that it's non-profit. As if, like, women, you have no ambitions. Of course, you have no ambitions. What are you doing? You're wasting your time on this
2: thing that's never going to make you money, which... Again, I it's a hobby. I mean, would you say that to someone who made watercolors for fun or yeah. someone who knitted but didn't sell their blankets? They just liked knitting? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure someone does, but oh, it doesn't sure. make sense. It's not, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a cogent argument. Not everything needs to be to make money or to get fame and to get, you know, rich and famous. Some things can just be for the pursuit of creativity, and that's what it sounds like these women were looking for. Absolutely.
1: And as things moved more online in the 1990s, X-Files, um, that Bridget and I are a fan of X-Files, uh, became the largest online-owned fandom. Scotland Yard, worried about a Heaven's Gate situation, started putting together secret files on the X-Files. So
2: X-Files on the X-Files?
1: Yes. <laughs> I love it. And on Star Trek, on the fandoms around them. In at least one case, a cult has from fandom, but it's pretty rare. Also, if we look at violence in sports fandom... No secret files put together on that.
2: Again, could it be because that is a male-dominated fandom and therefore cool? Well, people actually get hurt. Like, I know. In Europe, they have to separate different soccer teams by like a wall. Otherwise, they would murder each other. People have gotten hurt from sports fandom. I don't know that there's been fanfic murders. Yeah, there's certainly some
1: troublesome aspects in fandom, but fan fiction specifically... I mean, unless you're talking about ladies hurting dudes' feelings by entering their fandom, talk about a murder! <laughs> right? You're murdering how I think this fandom should be. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And there is a lot of discomfort around fandom and fan fiction to this day, which is about where this brings us. For instance, why are those dang yous writing Harry Potter porn? <laughs> All these women writing about sex and manly man fandoms, it's ruining art, it's dirty, it's moral. These are all things that you'll hear I read in plenty of places and it kind of made me feel ashamed and embarrassed.
2: Yeah, did you grow up thinking that what you were doing was gross and weird and like for weird perverts, like antisocial perverts?
1: No, I, I did luckily dodge that, but I did think it was really embarrassing and something I should hide. I didn't think that if people found out, I was barely certain I would be mocked quite heavily and it was difficult because, again, my brothers were very much the kind, as I've mentioned before on the show, that would pick on you and would make fun of you. And we all shared the same computer. And I tried for so long to hide what I was doing. Luckily, I don't think they ever figured it out. I wonder what they thought I was printing out, though. <laughs> Lots of recipes? Yeah, yes. For all, the, all the, the cooking that I did not do at that age. But this, yeah, this kind of brings us to talking about women and fanfiction and representation and sort of society's apparent fear and discomfort with that. It's the dreaded fanfic trope, the cliffhanger. But never fear, we have a part two, and uh, we have so much to say about fanfiction. So please join us for the second part coming to your ears soon. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair, but Pantene is changing that. Pantene's rosewater collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The
0: new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction.
1: And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls,
0: Sundays on NBC.
1: The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.